In addition to being a Luther expert, Denton is also a big fan of a contemporary theologian and does a brilliant impersonation of Joel Osteen. Uh, would, you, <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you share a little bit, Brother Joel? Just smile. It's going to be all right. <laughs> Everything in your life is going to work out. Just say with me, this is my Bible. It is what, it's, what I see. It is what I forgot. I, forgot. <laughs> I had it. I had it. But the same time, we're going to jump back to Luther um, from the 20th century back to 16th century um, and look at now how not only how the word has transformed Luther, but how Luther has then uh, transformed the world's understanding of how we read and interpret and live out Scripture. The, uh, if you look at this slide, and this is, this is what happens when, the, when Luther studies God's Word. And this is how uh, it changes the way you and I are reading the Bible right now, 21st century. Uh, this, is, this is from his first uh, major disputation, uh, the disputation, disputation against scholastic theology. So let me just read that for you. Uh, Man by nature is unable to want God to be God. Indeed, he himself wants to be God and does not want God to be God. Uh, No act done according to nature is not an illicit desire against God. Every act of illicit desire against God is evil and is spiritual adultery. It is not true that an act of spiritual adultery can be set right By the virtue of hope. On the part of man, nothing precedes grace except indisposition and even rebellion against God. Now that's critical because you and I read Psalm 51 and we believe it, right? Uh, We read Psalm 51 and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Truly, I bring nothing to you, right? We read Ephesians chapter 2. Right, those opening verses there, and it says, you know, and we all walked in the, the, under the power of the prince of the air, right? Uh, children of wrath by nature. Well, scholasticism said, yeah, but. Yeah, but there's a personal integrity within man that God interacts with. And we know this because of the philosophers. I mean, look at Aristotle and Plato, the brilliance of these men, surely, you know, they weren't completely devoid of anything good. So they, their sophism, as Luther would call it, right, their, their, their philosophical point of view was, so there must be something good in us. But Luther says, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The Bible is God's point of view. Our point of view may be, hey, look at us, we're not that bad. But the Bible says you're lost, you're dead in trespasses and sins, and you cannot free yourself. And that's why he writes what he writes here. It's all based on what he was reading and studying from the scriptures. And this is why Luther would never say, he would never tell you and me, oh, I know that makes sense. Right? Uh, So believe that because it makes sense. He would say, oh, I know that makes sense. But if the Bible says that you're wrong, then you have to be wrong, regardless of how you feel. 
You know, and in scholasticism, it was based on the assumption that, look, but look at civilizations have been built by mankind. We can't be completely that bad. And Luther, in the bondage of the will, wrote, and he said, look, it's not as if the will is broken with the ability to choose vanilla or chocolate. I like a Camry or I like a Mercedes, right? You can do all that. But what you can't do is say, I'm going to make myself right with God. That's the one thing you can't do, right? So uh, anyway, this, this highlights the, that the true problem of man from Luther's perspective, uh, and, and, and a lot of other people believed it too, and they knew it too, but he was championing this, is that the Bible says you can't get to God because you don't want God to be God. Okay. Um, so God's answer to that, and this is critical uh, here, Heidelberg Disputation. Uh, he is not righteous, or the person is not righteous, who does much. But he who without work believes much in Christ. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is done already. Uh, actually, one should call the work of Christ an acting work, and our work an accomplished work. And thus, an accomplished work pleasing to God by the grace of the acting work. Now, let me just stop there before I get to the last one. Do you see how this bounces off the scholasticism that said, hey, God interacts with the integrity of our soul, and you get to it, you cooperate with God, and you, when you and God are cooperating, you know, you get better and better, you know, you can work, and you can please God. But you can see how this directly refutes that, because that's the backdrop, right? It directly refutes that that's the case. The case is that he's not righteous who does much, but the one who believes much. Where does he get that? He gets it straight out of Romans. Romans was, and you all know this already, but it is true. Romans was the way, that was his entire interpretive grid for the Bible. You know, and, and not a bad interpretation. Not, not a bad one. As a matter of what was it? Donald Barnhouse did the same thing, right? He wrote that massive commentary uh, it, where he looked at the entire Bible through Romans. I mean, so Luther uh, certainly not alone in understanding that way. Um, and the 27, you can see how it bounces off scholasticism. Actually, one should call the work of Christ an acting work. It's what he does that is active, and our work, an accomplished work. Why? Because whatever good works flow out of us are a result of Jesus. They don't earn us salvation. They don't get us anywhere. Right? We're acting out of being acted upon. Right? So this places Jesus in front of any part of our righteousness. Uh, thus, an accomplished work pleasing to God by the grace of the acting work. In other words, everything you do with your life that is good uh, is not earning you anything. It's a result of something that's already happened or happening, namely Jesus. Right? So you can see this is radical. This is completely off the grid in comparison with where the, the environment he was in. And then lastly, and this is, uh, this is how it ended. This was the, actually the last statement. The love of God does not find, but creates. 
uh, that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. In other words, God isn't looking through mankind hoping to find a righteous man. God creates a righteous man, right? That's what God does. In love, through Jesus Christ, he creates the thing he loves. And in turn, man sees in God, through that, through that gospel, someone to love now. Right? And so this is, this is heart and soul to what Romans 1.17, how it gets into Luther's head and starts to roll around. That in the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve. Why? Out of love. He doesn't need servants to work the earth. He could have created that. He creates beings that interact, that relate, that that he talks to and they talk back, right? He creates them out of nothing but love. No, No other reason. So that which God loves, he creates. So it is in redemption. That in Christ, he creates anew. So he doesn't look for you to be righteous. He just creates you righteous through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. And in turn, how does your life turn around? When you see that God is definitely someone to love, right? We can't bring forth that love out of ourselves. It comes forth out of us, drawn out by what we see in God through Christ Jesus. And so you see, I'm saying all that just so you see that Luther's thinking was completely different than the scholastic model of how you get to God. Because in this model, you don't. God comes to you. And we take all of this for granted, and it was revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. For us, you know, hopefully you're hearing nothing. It's like, yep, that's good stuff. But back in those days, you know, but back in those days, it was like, oh, wow. Well, it was like the first time someone said, you know, the earth isn't static. It actually goes around the sun. The and, sun doesn't actually and it's not that people didn't believe it. Right, exactly. Believe these things. Yep. But no one had ever been allowed to have this kind of voice. That's exactly what happened. And the political winds were just right for that to occur. It, it just, like the lightning strike. I mean, it's like, yeah. who, come on. I mean, you've got to be at the right place at the right time for that to occur. And wonder it, wonder how happened. that happened. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, how can a sinful person be right with God? Uh, Jesus Christ himself is our righteousness. Once again, just a radical departure from scholastic thought. Uh, the, in in uh, the two kinds of righteousness, a little tract he wrote in 1519, uh, he says the first type, and he's talking about types of righteousness, is an alien righteousness, that is, the righteousness of another, instilled from without. This is the righteousness of Christ by which he justifies through faith. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 1, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification and redemption. In John 11, Christ himself states, I am the resurrection and the light. He who believes in me shall never die. Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. And all that he has becomes ours. Rather... He himself becomes ours. You see, righteousness was never separated from Jesus in Luther's theology. 
Uh, as if, you see, because that was the, the thing again in scholasticism that he didn't like. The grace of God was kind of like uh, water in this cup, right? And your heart was the empty cup, and God would pour grace or spiritual empowerment into you, and then you would work, right? Then you would try to do this. So Luther never envisioned Christ's righteousness like that water. There's your empty heart, and so Jesus pours righteousness into you. Jesus' righteousness is himself, right? And so even though, you know, sometimes it doesn't get fair play. Someone will say, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. But sometimes that can be an overworked phraseology. But it is true that Jesus is in us, right? He's in us in the way that he is through the agency of the Word and the Spirit. And that is how you are righteous, in, in Luther's view, right? Not, I'm not preaching to you. Uh, uh, but in Luther's view, that is where your righteousness comes from, is because Christ himself has made you his own, and you have made him your own by faith alone. And therefore, God looks upon you through Christ. And when I say look, what I mean is relates to you. you know, he, he relates to you according to who Jesus is. That is just very different. Very different thinking in those days. But you can see, thanks be to God, you know, here we are in the 21st century where this is standard fare for you. Right? And so we can be grateful that, that somebody is willing to write it down and, and push it forward. Okay. Uh, how can a sinful person be right with God? Only by faith. You can only receive this gift of righteousness through faith. It's the only way you can get it. Uh, uh, Luther writes, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. Righteousness, then, is such a faith. It is called the righteousness of God because God gives it and counts it as righteousness for the sake of Christ our mediator and makes us fulfill our obligations to everybody. Uh, just to fill out a little bit of this, and it's worth, worth uh, filling out, uh, the living, daring confidence in God's grace does not mean, once again, God's grace does not mean stuff like is poured in a cup. God's grace, according to what he found from Old Testament Scripture, God's grace is his favor. It's his disposition. It describes how God looks at you. You know, and, I, and I, I've often said at my church this way, and I hope I'm not, like, fouling up here. But if we want to say, I wonder what's in God's heart concerning me. Well, what you're asking is, is God gracious to me? Right? And that describes Luther's concept of what grace means. Grace means God's disposition toward you. That's the way he feels about you, if you will. That's the way he looks at you. And so, see the difference there. There's a difference between something God pours into you kind of outside of himself and God giving you himself to believe in through the word, through promises. Think of Abraham, right? I promise you, Abraham, this will happen. God literally gives himself to Abraham to believe in. Because in the past, grace comes at baptism. Yep, and yep. At the Lord's table. Yep. And you, then you use it, right? Yep. Or not. 
in, <laughs> in the, the use it or lose it, right? But yeah, that's the way they thought. But for Luther, that's not grace. Grace describes God's disposition. That, that's the way he thinks about us. That's the way he sees it. So that's very important up there. And then right at the bottom there where he sees, and it makes us fulfill our obligations to everybody, uh, just so you keep a clear sight about Luther, he meant that in two ways. One, that in God's eyes, you've already fulfilled your obligations to everybody because you're in Christ. And he fulfilled your obligations to everybody. And be out of that, you live a different life, which we'll see that on a different slide, right? But you actually do live a different life if you believe that. So it, it, it was, it, he never would resort back to kind of this works-oriented relationship with God. And so what you see then, you know, is how it affects us in 21st century American Christianity, that these things are still, you know, really kind of the, the, the center of our theological mindset. You know, that, that's how we read the Bible, which I think is the next slide. So how does this affect the way we read the Bible then? Uh, before I get to the slide, how do you read your Bible? And you don't, don't answer that, right? <laughs> I'm not used to people answering that. If, uh, uh, do you read your Bible as if it's a book of information? Okay, this is information. This tells me about stuff. This tells me about creation. This tells me about humans. tells me about God. tells me about Jesus. tells me about the end of the world. tells me about, you know... Or do you read your Bible as revelation, right? God is actually talking to you through the Scripture. And it's not nearly so much about, and this is Luther's point of view, and it was against scholastics, because scholastics saw the book of the Bible as God's great big rule book. It was the regulation to govern all things, right? And so you go through it, and through your sophistry, try to figure out, how I get to God, right? By how I read it, how I believe it, you know, that's how I get to God. But for Luther, the word of the Lord is God's word to you. It's to the church, yes, but it's God's address to sinful human beings so they will believe him. That's what it's really all about. You see how radically different reading the Bible becomes and why he's absolutely crazy to get it into the hands of people. He wants it translated. He wants people to read this because he really believes that because you're justified by faith in God, you have to have a personal address from God. And where does he do that? He does it in his word. And so now it gets to the quote in the small call articles he wrote. This is how, we, you know, this is how he would say, this is how you read your Bible. As you read it, no matter where you're at, Proverbs, Psalm of Solomon, uh, Genesis, wherever you are, uh, here's the first and chief article that Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Romans 4. And he alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. Furthermore, all have sinned and are now justified without merit by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ by his blood, Romans 3. So this is, when you go at your Bible, what do you expect to find in there? 
Whatever you find, remember, this is what's ultimately true. This is what ultimately the whole Bible is all about. So that will condition you then from reading, for instance, and I'm speaking from Luther's perspective here, reading the book of Proverbs as if this is the way to make God happy with you. Right? Since this is true, the book of Proverbs are wisdom from God for how to live life under the sun. Right? I mean, that's what Proverbs are for. They're not for getting you to heaven. Right? They're not for earning a really favorable position with God. Therefore, living. Live those words because this is the, the overarching concern of the Bible is that you are justified in Jesus Christ. So those commands then are all about living your life in this world. Now, uh, just another example, quick example before we move on from there. The first commandment, this is an example. You don't have to agree with this at all. But the first commandment, uh, which is, you shall have no other gods besides me. Luther says, when you read that without Jesus, right, you have the command, you shall have no other gods besides me. And there you have it. So, so well, now what are you going to do, right? <laughs> but if you read that exact same commandment, through this, Jesus Christ died for my sins, he raised for my resurrection, he is my merit before God, I cannot merit anything before God. Now that commandment reads, you shall not have any other gods besides me. I must place my faith in Christ alone, in God's grace alone, absolutely by his scripture alone, period. Right? Because the only way you can obey that commandment and be a Christian is to believe in the righteousness that God gives you by faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you've made up a God somewhere. <laughs> right? And typically, if, if you're Luther and you're thinking, that God is you. That's who you're really depending on. That's who you're really counting on. And it's not the God of Scripture because you're trying to obey that command with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might means you're counting on you to obey that command so you'll be okay with God. And now your God is just you. See, I know it sounds confusing, but Luther's confusing. <laughs> right? But that's the way he saw it. If you really want to obey the first commandment, Believe in Jesus Christ for your righteousness and in no other way. And believe in no other merit. And then you actually keep that commandment. It's that theology of glory, isn't it? Where uh, yeah. you know, you're trying to get yeah. to God and it's somewhere, if you get high enough, close enough, you realize that you are God. Yep. The theology, you said you it know, better through, than Luther said it. <laughs> yeah, through exactly reason or, yep. or works or feelings yep. or yep. I whatever am. way. I am God. You I'm know? smart enough. Yep. I'm good enough. I feel enough. Right, right. Any, anything you bring in on Christ's merit defames Christ, right? And so that's a theology of glory, self-glorification. That focus seems to feed very well into what we've seen in the church in the last few years of this gospel-centered, this cross-centered uh, hermeneutic yeah. where yeah. you read the entire Bible through the lens of 
Christ and, and the cross. Yes, sir. So w- without that, we're sort of lost anyway. It, it becomes a book of rules. Yeah. And Luther That's put us in that direction. direction. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's recovering kind of just, you know, it's recovering old things. It's like going through your attic and going, yeah, I think I can use this. Again. <laughs> yeah. But very true. Um, so uh, how is, and continuing on, how does this affect the way we read Scripture? Scriptures are a means of grace subject to the Holy Spirit, not the reader. That's, that's like super vital. <laughs> uh, Luther in uh, the, the Weimar works, if you speak of internal clearness, no human being sees one iota of Scripture unless he has the Spirit of God. All men have a darkened heart. So that even if they know all that scripture contains, yet they are unable to feel and truly know it, for the Spirit is required to understand the whole of scripture and every part of it. You see what Luther just did there? He took the scriptures which he revered, but he would not allow the scriptures to become ex opera operato. They don't just work because they work. Explain that Latin phrase oh, for yeah. me. Uh, ex opera operato means that God has invested something so that it works. If you take it or receive it, or then it'll do something to you, right? So in other words, Luther flatly says, look, you can sit down and read the Bible, but that's no guarantee that it's going to have an effect on you. It, there's no guarantee to that. Because guess what? Scholasticism were Bible scholars too. And they got it all wrong, right? In his opinion, <laughs> right? So what he's saying is that, a, that when, when he puts this in that effect, that when we read Scripture, if our faith is not in Christ alone, for our relationship with God alone, you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you. And without the Holy Spirit at work in you, you're going to misread this stuff. You're going to employ whatever you want to and make this scripture read any way you want. You see how these things are connected? Yeah. It's like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, just, and, and, and so truly Luther would say, I don't care what scripture means to you. I care what scripture means. Yep. Exactly like that. I mean, that's, uh, the, the scriptures mean what they mean not what they mean to me. Uh, and what they mean to us, and this, and this goes back to our earlier point, the scriptures are God's address. He, uh, it, so yes, it's his word, but it's not his word out there. Because it's one thing if we watch uh, uh, a presidential address on TV. It's quite another thing if somebody comes to your house and knocks on your door and calls you by name, right? So the word of God to Luther is the really the word of God, and he doesn't mean this ontologically, he means salvifically. It's really the word of God when God knocks on your door and talks to you. And he's going to do that through the scripture, so we don't have any authority whatsoever to make them mean something that they don't mean. And yet he sees understanding of scripture has to be done in community, his understanding oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of the priesthood of the believer, yeah. Southern Baptist, 
liberal Southern Baptists have said the priesthood of the believer means that I can interpret Scripture just as <laughs> right. well as you can. Right, right. And what Luther means is that we are all mediators, but we mediate to the church, to one another. Yep. We mediate for one another, right. and we mediate for the world. We are God's message to the yeah. world. Yeah. And so he yeah. understands that Scripture can't be understood in a vacuum, even with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's, that's right. It has to be yeah. done in community. And uh, just to piggyback on that, Brad, because for Luther, when he read Timothy, 1 Timothy, uh, the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. And it doesn't mean like the organization. It means you, right? The individuals who have the Holy Spirit, who have faith in Christ Jesus alone, right? This church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Right? So if the world wants to know what that truth is, they'll have to come to church. Right? And the church is a mouth house, not a printing press. That's Luther's words. Meaning, the church preaches. The church proclaims. Uh, all the, for all the writings Luther ever did, he said, I could care less about any of that stuff. What's important is the preached word. Because through the preached word... That's God's communication with his people. And by the way, the way Luther understood the priesthood of all believers is that your pastor is given authority by Christ to proclaim the gospel to you. And you have the responsibility to guard, protect, and guide your pastor by the word. Because you're a priest. That's right. Just like the pastor. Exactly. So there, the, the whole uh, sacerdotalism is completely eliminated. Uh, the, the pastor has no divine authority over you. But they do have the word to give to you, right? And you, in turn, have a responsibility to guard and protect your pastor, not by criticisms and, you know, and writing nasty letters about him, but by going to him and saying, Pastor, I'm not sure if, you, if this word that you preach to us you know, is according to what the scripture is, but you're doing that to guard and protect the one that God has called to tell you the truth. You, you see that? And it all works together. So it's, 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 a, it's a relationship that takes place within the context of community, right? And so you're exactly right. Yeah, you'd never, Luther would, he, he could never foresee it, a, a, a Christian being without outside of the community of faith. It just wouldn't make any sense to him. Uh, so what difference does it make, uh, Christian living? Uh, Come on now, be honest with me. You can show a hands here. Have you ever heard that Luther's are antinomian? You can be honest, right? I hear it all the time. <laughs> Do you know what antinomian means? Uh, oh, you guys don't care about Christian living. You don't care about the law. The law is bad. You just have this total bad idea about the law. Uh, I hear that all the time. Uh, but uh, are there Lutherans who are antinomian? Yes. Anabaptist. Absolutely. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, are those who, who uh, have reduced everything to just the gospel so that now God just is a tolerant granddaddy who, he's okay with everything, man. You're all good. Right? Yeah, there are folks that do that. But Luther didn't do that. <coughs> right? And uh, so here's, here's something he said. This is uh, an important part of that uh, from the works of Luther. Uh, In a word, apart from Christ, all are damned. And lost. In Christ, 
All are good and blessed. However, this gives no permission to sin. Christ came to destroy and take away sin. It is impossible for that person to be a Christian and a believer who openly, impenitently, and securely lives on in sins according to his evil lusts. But he who really has faith and forgiveness resists sin, does not follow his lusts, fights against sin, although in this life sin remains, even in the most saintly. Now, uh, while we were on break, we were talking about this letter that Luther wrote to Melanchthon, where the most quoted line from Luther comes from. Sin boldly, right? And everybody thinks, oh, wow, this guy, he, he just believes way too much in the gospel. Well, uh, the context of the letter is that uh, several things were being addressed in that letter to Melanchthon, because Melanchthon was complaining about, these things are happening in the congregation, Luther, you know. One of the things was what was called secure, the secure sinner. The secure sinner is the person that comes to church, dresses nice, talks nice to everybody, but they're really not all that into God and Jesus and stuff. They're into church, but they're not really all that worried about their relationship with God. They kind of live any way they want to, you know, and just come to church and make a show of it. Well, Luther says this, and this is, that's the context he's addressing. He says, you know, we have a radical grace. We have this awesome grace. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just an overwhelming, marvelous grace, but only for strong sinners. And that means for people who are willing to say, I am really a sinner. I'm not a pretend sinner, so I get a pretend grace. I'm a real sinner. And so in that context, he goes on in a little later in the letter to say, so we have a marvelous grace, sin boldly. But he doesn't mean go out and boldly commit sins. He means admit it. And, but he also means preach that. <laughs> Tell people they're sinners. Make them sinners. And this is not on our slide, but uh, Luther, one of Luther's uh, uh, principles of preaching, make sinners of your listeners. In other words, preach the law in such a way that they say, well, I, I think he's talking about me, <laughs> right? Uh, I, don't, because, I don't have that burden. I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, so, and, so it's in, and, and so this statement, you know, is, is, is showing that for Luther, uh, grace is real, but it's only real if you get that your sin is real. And if you get that grace is real, then something very different happens within the human heart. And it's a work of the Spirit, by the way. It's not something merely psychological. It's a work of the Spirit. And I think that's on the next slide. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, faith is not a human notion and a dream that some people call faith. And he's talking about those secure sinners there. Uh, when they say that no improvement of life, no good works follow, they fall into the same trap as those who say, faith is not enough, and one must do good works in order to be righteous and be saved. Uh, faith is a divine work in us that changes us and makes us born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart, in spirit, and mind, and powers. It brings with it the Holy Spirit 
Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. Uh, so for Luther, if you're, if you're a person who says, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe. Or the person says, you know what, you've got to do more than just have faith. You've got you to gotta work. He says, you know, both those folks are, have entered the same trap. It's a trap of they're not in alignment with Scripture. <laughs> they don't believe what the Scripture says, right? And so they're, they're, they're both in the same camp. They're, one's no better than the other. And then he goes on to point out that faith, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, does something to us. It just does. Spontaneously. Really, without your aid. Now, Luther wrote at different points in his life. And I know that psychologically we kind of feel like, well, I am aiding it. <laughs> right? I'm studying the Bible. I'm saying my prayers. I'm going to church. It feels like all the world to me. I'm doing something. Right? And he would admit that. He'd say, yeah, I know it feels like you are. But the Bible reveals that actually you're not. It is God who at works in who works in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So, in other words, oh, so I'm understanding this kind of from myself. It kind of feels like I'm putting forth my effort. I'm getting in there. I'm trying to be a better me, you know. Uh, but actually, that's the Holy Spirit at work, willing you to will what God wills, willing you to do what God wants you to do. All is of grace. And this comes out of faith. Jesus Christ died for my sins and his merit and his merit as long as all I... I don't believe in myself. I don't... When I come before God, the only thing I say is, God, you know me. I'm a sinner. Now, let me tell you about the things that are important in my life, God. And I'm worried about my sister. I'm worried. You just go on. Throw all your cares on the Lord. He is your Father because you are in Christ Jesus. Don't labor over, oh, how terrible I am. Have I done this enough yet, God? You know, <laughs> oh, let me confess more sins because I know that the more I confess, the more impressed you are with me. Luther would say, forget all that mess. Just admit it. You're a bad, sinful person. And then believe in Jesus. And Jesus, I know you cover my sins. Now, Father, I have so many concerns in my life. See how natural that sounds, you know. But he would say, that's what faith does. And I hate to do this, yeah. but we yeah, have to say the most important thing left. And no, and then maybe we'll think about these slides will be available. So, uh, but what's the one thing you want to wrap up with? Okay, okay. sorry. I'm no, sorry, no, no, no. I, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I, this, is, uh, this is what I would, I, I'd want you to take away from Luther as far as where you are in 21st century Christianity that there's a lot of things that uh, you would not agree with Luther about. But here's where you find yourself in, in complete agreement with it. That what Luther broke through in the Reformation is a, a way of reading your Bible so that now you know God is addressing you. Because you are in Christ Jesus and you belong to him. And he belongs to you. And so when you read your Bibles, you're not just reading some ancient document. And I don't care what the History Channel says. Right? 
you're reading the Word of God to you. And Luther really gave us that kind of hermeneutic. It was not there before. Oh, it was in individual pockets of Christianity. It absolutely was. But Luther brought that out in, in such a way that now in Protestantism, we just assume those things, but don't assume them. Treasure them. Hmm. Treasure that. Because having that way of reading your Bible makes all the difference in the world. So I would just leave you. Uh, one thing I would want you to take away from Luther is what he's given you that way. And questions. We, yep, questions. Anybody have a question? <clears throat> What would you say that we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and the Word? Let's see if I can ask this question. It seems to me that a lot of modern Protestants don't give much uh, value to the Holy Spirit or think of the Holy Spirit as mm-hmm. kind of a, a servant or a water boy, sort of, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to kind of a co-equal thing. And yeah. it, so... How would Luther? I mean, he's you know Jesus, Jesus alone, Jesus yep. alone. So yep. where does the Spirit yep. come into that? Yeah, uh, for Luther in his theology of of uh, the Holy Spirit, for Luther, this is how you know that you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you, that you know Christ, because this is what the Spirit does. This is. This is everything the Holy Spirit is about, is to enable you to see from the Scripture, Jesus is for me, right? That's what he does. And the the more you cling to that, the more you hold to that, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what flows out of that, faith, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, that's all his work. And so uh, Luther... um, never really discussed kind of a, a theology of the Spirit the way that, that Calvin really worked out well. Because for Luther, uh, he talked about the, this tight Trinitarian concept. And Jesus was the only way you could know the Father, because the Father, otherwise, you don't know what the Father's thinking, right? And the only way you can know Jesus at all is by the Holy Spirit. You can't know the first thing about it. You can know a historical Jesus, but you can't know the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. Does that help? Yeah, I, I think, because I always think of that, and I don't even know where this comes from, but that famous kind of illustration of the gap, you know, the chasm between man and God, and then the cross uh-huh. bridges uh-huh. the gap, but the Spirit is not dealt with in that illus- illustration. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, And it's, it's sort of like I was told, and I certainly know, don't really know about this, but that a more Eastern Orthodox thinking is... Very much like what you were saying, that like mm. the spirit, sort of Christ is sort of at the center. The spirit draws us up to Christ, and then Christ right. mediates, you know, for this very much like what you're just saying. You've, yep. Sort of one leads to the other. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to just kind of being, well, he, he's kind of a servant figure. Yeah. Uh, and and no, Luther, does Luther connect the spirit and the word? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the scriptures are uh, exhaled by God. And that's the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who both gives them to the apostles and the prophets, but he's also the one who gives them to us, right? It's not, and so in giving us the word, he gives us Jesus. That, yeah. And so um, 
so the, the work of the Holy Spirit for, for, from Luther's point of view at that in, in his realm, uh, there is no Jesus that we can believe in if the Holy Spirit doesn't give him to us. Now, we think of that as a psychological process, right? And Luther would say, you know, so what? Yeah, that psychological process is the work of God, right? You know, it, it may be the way you think and the way you feel and your emotional impact that it has on you, but that's all the authorship is the Holy Spirit. And, and so, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and by the way, yeah, your connection to, you know, the Eastern Church, uh, Luther felt like there was a terrible loss in the Western Church for understanding the Holy Spirit and read a lot of the Desert Fathers, you know, and to try to understand how is the Holy Spirit. And, and for Luther, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in his baptism. So in order to have Jesus, you have to have the Holy Spirit. In order to have the Holy Spirit, you have to have Jesus. And it was just inseparable. Well, is anyone else blessed by the gospel this evening? <laughs> is anyone else now a Lutheran? <laughs> Well, we truly are blessed to have the the work in mind of, of Luther with his warts and all. Uh, we have him as part of our heritage, and we're blessed to have uh, Denton White explain some of that formation, uh, those forming thoughts for us this evening. Uh, before we go, I'm just going to throw up uh, the, few, the next few items on the calendar. And also, if you do have more questions, feel free to come up, ask them. Uh, we can either put them online, or if there's uh, a more in-depth answer required, uh, we can do a recording and, and put that link to the video, uh, make that available to you as well. Um, but if there's nothing else, I'm going to ask for closing prayer. Lord, thanks so much for this time together. Thank you for the rich, uh, life-changing word that the Spirit authored and makes clear to us and as it does as he does we see Jesus and it's all a part of your plan Father thank you uh, for bringing Denton here tonight for enlightening us uh, again what he says really doesn't mean anything until the spirit affirms in our hearts the truth of the word and as Neil has said Martin Luther we certainly don't hold him up as to be someone without fault and without flaws. Uh, horrible things that he said about the Jews and, and uh, other uh, concerns. And we find ourselves to be flawed as well, though. And so we are grateful for the ways that you used this man to help us to understand uh, what was already in your word. But to give voice in such a way that uh, the masses said, yes, I, I agree with that. So thank you, Lord, for the ways that you work. We pray that you would uh, give us good rest this night and uh, help us to passionately seek you in the same way uh, that this little monk did so many years ago. In Jesus' name, amen.